Hey, y'all. Good morning. We are continuing our series, this practical series on apprenticing Jesus, our master, in all the things we've been talking about. Solitude, fasting, prayer, um, all these practices, because what we believe is that to be a Christian is to be a disciple of Jesus, to be an apprentice, that it's not just this mere intellectual assent to a set of ideas, um, that that's part of believing, but believing, believing is more than just this cognitive agreement. Um, it's to be a disciple. It's to believe and behold the good news of Jesus and to, by the work of the Spirit, begin to be transformed more and more into his image. Um, and so we're going through this series and all these things of how do we apprentice Jesus? Like if we really believe we're a disciple of Jesus, then it should change the way we spend our money and our time, the way we pray, the way we speak, the way we get angry, and today, the way we love. All these things being more and more renewed into the image uh, of our master. And we believe this is what we were made for. Like this is what it is to flourish. That when we, when we say, when we long for heaven, when we say, come quickly, Lord Jesus, we're actually longing for that day that we will be like him. That's what 1 John 3 says. This is what it says. Beloved, we are God's children now, but what we will be has not yet appeared. So we are now God's children, but we are not quite yet as we ought to be. But this is what we know, that when he appears, we shall see him and we will be like him. That is the end of the Christian journey. That's the end of this adventure of apprenticing Jesus, that we will actually be made like him. And so now the Lord, through his spirit, through this body, is transforming us more and more into that image that we will one day fully realize. That God is bringing his kingdom in here and in our world until that day when it, it comes in full. Until that day that we are like him, we have no more sin, no more pain, no more tears. So the good news is this apprenticeship has an end date. This isn't like that, that first internship where they keep saying, yeah, maybe in three months, like we'll start paying you or you'll have a permanent position. No, like the Lord is going to complete the work he began in you. This is sure. So uh, Jonathan, if you'd come up, a scripture reader. Today, we are looking at uh, apprenticing Jesus in loving our enemies. And this passage, our passage today is from Jesus' most famous sermon, the Sermon on the Mount. And it comes at the end of Matthew 5, and it's this climactic finale to uh, this teaching that Jesus has been saying to the people and against the teachers of the law. And so we'll see why it's this climactic finale, because it's, it's the defining act of what it is to be a Christian. And at the same time, it's seemingly one of the most impossible, almost appalling statements Jesus makes. So easy enough. You read it for us. Matthew 5, 38 through 48. You have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, do not resist the one who is evil. But if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. And if anyone would sue you and take your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. And if anyone forces you to go one mile, go with him two miles. Give to the one who begs from you and do not refuse the one who would borrow from you. You have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, Love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you so that you may be sons of your father who is in heaven. 
for he makes his sun rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? And if you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same? You therefore must be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Uh, That last line, you must be perfect, that's the prompt for the week. So if the band would come up. um, (laughs) No, we'll get to what that means. Uh, Let's pray quickly. Uh, Lord, we uh, need you desperately. We always need you desperately. Um, But this this call to love our enemies um, is one that really bumps up against our heart. So would you, by your spirit, move in our hearts? Would you show us uh, where we fall short in this? Would you show us how much you love us so that we can love our enemies in this way? We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So in this sermon, in Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, this passage is the last of a series of Jesus saying, you have heard it said, but I say to you. And what he's doing is he is talking about the popular teaching of the Pharisees and the religious leaders of that day who have twisted God's law to suit themselves. And so here, essentially what the Pharisees and religious leaders had taught was that your neighbor were only those who were benevolent, who were moral, who were upright. Like I only have a responsibility to good people. And if you remember the parable of the Good Samaritan, that's the whole context of that. The whole reason that parable is told is because a religious leader asked Jesus, hey, what what must I do to inherit eternal life? And the answer is the summary of the law. You must love the Lord your God with all your soul and all your mind and all your strength and love your neighbor as yourself. And what does he say? And who is my neighbor? And so Jesus tells this parable, like that question, and who is my neighbor is because of this teaching that, well, I'm not responsible to be a neighbor to everyone. I just have to be a neighbor to moral, upright, benevolent people. And what Jesus is doing here in this, you have heard it said, but I say to you, is he is saying you have totally misunderstood God's law, that it has always been the case that God's people were meant to love their enemies that they were actually meant to turn their enemies into neighbors by their love. And that they actually had a special attention to the foreigner in their land, the oppressed, the poor, the widows, all these people who the Pharisees would say, well, we don't really have a responsibility to them. That this is always what the law has been about. It's been about the heart. That that question, and who is my neighbor, totally misses the heart of the law. This has always been God's intention. Always, 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 from beginning with Abraham, God's people were meant to turn enemies into brothers, into neighbors, by their love. And so he is taking them straight to the heart, straight to this climactic finale of, you have heard it said that you should love your neighbor and hate your enemy. I tell you, you should love your enemy. And it it would be appalling, shocking to his original hearers at that day. So I want you to think about uh, your enemies. Who are your enemies? And if your first thought is like enemies, I don't, I don't have enemies. You're thinking way too abstractly and highly. Who, who bothers you? Who frustrates you? Who do you want to get a taste of their own medicine? Who do you talk with your spouse or your friends about? And you're just like, 
I cannot imagine being that way, being like that person. I saw a, a tweet this week. Are, are they still called tweets? I saw an X this week. I don't. <laughs> I really don't know. Someone tell me later. I saw a sentence on the internet this week that said, um, "The funniest thing about working a corporate job is that Brenda, a 58-year-old in New Jersey who works for HR, who I've never met, is my worst enemy." Like that. That's what I'm talking about. Who is your Toby at the office? Who's just the worst? Like in your office, in your neighborhood, in your family? What about across the political aisle? Whose beliefs and culture and, and everything they stand for is like, no. That's an enemy. Are we all, all on board that we've got enemies? I might need to check some pulses if someone still thinks that I'm an enemy. For Jesus' original listeners, the Jewish people in the first century, it would have been three, three main groups that would have come to mind. The Romans, the tax collectors, and the Gentiles. And Jesus mentions them all explicitly right here in our text because he's not gonna leave this in the abstract. He's not gonna leave this, well, you know, who really is, you know, he's saying, here's who it is. It's the Romans, the tax collectors, and the Gentiles. That's who is your enemy, and I, we all know this is your enemy. And I'm telling you, that's who you're supposed to love. So the Romans, they're under Roman occupation, and, and just brutal authority that this Roman empire has over them. And so what it's talking about in verse 41, when it says, if anyone forces you to go a mile, go with him too. A Roman soldier could just come up to a Jew and say, carry my stuff for a mile. Like just total authority at any moment. And then the tax collectors, probably even worse than the Romans, because these are their own people who have sold out to the empire and for their own selfish gain and to get out of this persecution, they're collecting these heavy, heavy taxes, like 80, 90% on their own people. And then the Gentiles, this is just everyone else. Like their culture, their beliefs, their worship, everything is unclean. We don't have anything to do with them. In other words, what Jesus is getting at here is that there's no one who's off the hook. There's no one who rises to a level of enemy that is outside of the bounds of our call to love them. We gotta hear that. I'll, I'm about to give you the nitty gritty of, well, what about abuse? What about injustice? What about violence? All of that stuff. But we've gotta hear first that no one is outside of the scope, even in those situations. And, and how can I say that? Look at verse 45. You love your enemies. Why? Because your father in heaven loves them. For like he shows this by, he makes his son rise on the evil and the good and makes rain. He sends rain on the just and unjust. In other words, if they experience God's son and they experience rain, they are in the scope of our call to love them because God loves them. That's the call that Jesus is giving. That's why it would have been so shocking and so hard to hear for his listeners. So what about abuse and violence and injustice? All the things like, yes, love does not mean no boundaries, no, uh, like I, I just have total tolerance of everything. I'm never gonna say anything. I'm never gonna stand up. That is not what love is. If you remember when Jonathan Nash was here preaching on anger, apprenticing Jesus in our anger a few weeks ago, like, yes, it is good and right to be angry at the things God is angry about. It's good to defend the innocent, to seek justice for the oppressed, all the things, but that anger must be fueled by love. 
love for God's people, love for God's purposes, love for his image bearers and their well-being, and even the ones who are perpetrating that evil because God loves them. That's this call. But it doesn't, and so it doesn't mean like, okay, I, I, if someone's broken serious trust, I can't set any boundaries or have any level of discernment. That's not what it means. Or I'm just gonna receive and receive and receive without anything. I wanna I want to turn to Leviticus 19. If you've got your Bibles, turn there with me. This is where that summary of the law. So Deuteronomy 6 is where you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your mind and your strength. That's where that comes from. And then Leviticus 19 is where Jesus' second statement of, and you should love your neighbor as yourself. That's where this comes from. Leviticus 19. And the context of this chapter is, how do I love people that have wronged me? How do I love people that have wronged me? And here's what God says, starting with verse 17. Do not hate a fellow Israelite in your heart. Rebuke your neighbor frankly, so you will not share in their guilt. Do not seek revenge or bear a grudge against anyone but love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord, right? Share in their guilt. They are guilty of something against you. They have wronged you. And what is the Lord saying? Don't just curse inwardly. Don't hate in your heart. Don't bear this grudge. Don't seek revenge. But sometimes love, to love your neighbor as yourself might be to just tell them exactly how it is. In other words, it doesn't mean just receiving mistreatment and allowing it to continue to happen. Though in many times, in small ways, we might just let stuff go. That will be part of loving our neighbor as ourselves. But we're not called to just keep it inwardly and curse in our hearts. Let me, let me give you a small example of how this happens in my house. Um, oftentimes, when I take my frustration, my anger, my tiredness out on Megan, here's what she'll say to me. Evan, I love you. I love you, but you're taking your anger out on me right now and it's not right. That's the kind of love that it's talking about. Hey, I love you. That, my love is not on the table right now. That's not being dangled in front of you. I love you and what you're doing is hurting me and it's not right. Now we don't have time to you know, scale that up to every situation, every uh, scenario, but the point is this, loving our enemies doesn't mean tolerating injustice or abuse. And it also doesn't mean I'm out. Like, yeah, because of this, they're out of the scope of my love. No, Jesus is saying the exact opposite. Pray for those who persecute you. That's what persecution is, unjust abuse. That's what it is. He's saying, so those people who are persecuting you, pray for them, love them. Those are the enemies that you're supposed to love. And this has always been what God's law told his people. Proverbs says, when your enemy falls, don't rejoice. Don't gloat when he stumbles, but rather if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. In Exodus, God says, if the donkey of someone who hates you, so not even you hate, you might be totally innocent, but they hate you. If you see the donkey of someone who hates you has fallen under its load, you must not leave it there. You must help them. So this week, when you see a donkey fallen, like that's what you must do. But that's what we're talking about. Like, even if you're totally innocent and right, but they hate you, you're still called to love. And the Pharisees had twisted God's law to suit themselves, right? But they're missing that this is who God is. God is abounding in steadfast love. He is kind to the ungrateful and the wicked. 
but they've said to suit their, their, them, their selves and to suit their own passions that they don't want to live up to this high call. They said, well, my neighbor's really only this. This is really, well, they've wronged me, so you know, I don't have to love them. And it's easy to be like, oh, Pharisees, boo, like they're the worst. But if we're honest with ourselves, this is what we do, right? We use boundaries, we use even good things like boundaries to just, yep, I'm out. I'm out of here. Right, this, the turning your other cheek, that a slap in that culture was not violence, it was a sign of dishonor. And so when Jesus says to turn the other cheek, he's saying you're staying in there instead of just, nope, I'm done with that person. It's like, I'm actually opening myself up to, to being spit on. That's what it would be the equivalent of. Like I'm turning and opening myself up to being spit on again because I love this person and I'm not just gonna say, sorry, you're out of the scope of my love. Because that's how God is. And if we're even more honest with ourselves, we don't even have to go to these extreme examples to find out how far short we fall at loving our enemies. This week for me might've been the slowest and most personally painful uh, sermon preparation I've ever experienced because every 15 minutes I had to stop and pray for someone who I was cursing in my heart. It's like the Lord was just like peeling me open. It's like, here, you wanna wanna know an example of this? Bring someone to mind. that I would curse in my heart, I'd wish misfortune, I wish they would get some of what I felt like I'd gotten. And y'all, I'm not even talking about like real enemies, I'm talking about customer service representatives. (laughs) (laughs) I'm being like so serious though. Like really, how sad is it that I can turn a customer service representative into an enemy? Another one that came to mind was my literal neighbor. Like I share a wall with her. So the whole, and who is my neighbor? Like it's actually my neighbor. Uh, It gets worse. She is an elderly woman. (laughs) That has a, yes, he's right. That has a small dog that barks at 2 a.m. and 3 a.m. and 4 a.m. The amount of times in the middle of the night from my bed, I've cursed that dog and my neighbor is, I don't want you to know. And I've got to confess, this week is the first time I've ever prayed for her. I've got to tell you how freeing it was. Like to just pray that God, not, I'm not like praying like that the dog would die. I've, <laughs> I, I've prayed those prayers before, but that's not the kind of prayer we're talking about. Like just praying that God would bless her, that she would flourish. Like not, not anything to do with me or my own sake. Like I'm just praying God's blessing over her so freeing to not just hold in that cursing and grudge. Uh, Anne Lamott, who's a Christian author, she talks about, in, in talking about this and holding this in, she says, it's like drinking rat poison and then waiting for the rat to die. Like this is killing us, this holding in, this cursing in our heart. And the reason we've got to hear this is because this is the mark of what it is to be a Christian. Right? So many other religions can, can have find overlap in our ethics and our morality and our structure and all these things. But Jesus says, we, what we will be known by, what will differentiate us is our love. And what does he say here? Everyone loves those who love them. Who love them. Everyone greets those who greet them. But you, I say to you, you love your enemies. Like that's the kind of love 
that we're talking about. That's the kind of love God's calling us into because he says, I will be known by your love. When you love like I do, when you love in this radical, crazy way of instead of I'm cursing, instead of I'm reviling, instead of I'm getting back, I'm just loving and blessing and praying. So how do we do this? Like really, how, how can we do this? Uh, my favorite story of all time is Les Mis. Um, yeah, this, let me just say this. If you haven't read it or seen it or watched it, like just go ahead and do it. Don't you wish when the first time Matt brought up Lord of the Rings, you would have known like, hey, he's gonna bring this up like every other week. So if you haven't seen it, like just rip the bandaid off and go watch the movies. This is my thing. It's honestly a miracle. It's the first time I'm talking about this. So if you're planning to be here a while, the book is only 1,400 pages. Just do it. Um, but in this, the greatest story ever, uh, the main character, Jean Valjean, he's released from prison. 19 years in prison, he's released, and he comes to a town, and he's trying to look for work. He's trying to look for a place to stay. And everywhere he goes, he is spit on, said, get out of here, you dog. They see convict on his passport, and they shoo him away. He finally finds work to do for a day, and that boss cheats him of his wage because he knows he can get away with it because he's a convict and no one will believe his word. And so there's all these rumblings in the town about this detestable man who's come to their, their village, and the bishop hears this, and he invites Jean Valjean into his house. He feeds him, he, gives him, he lets him bathe, he gives him new clothes, he gives him a bed to sleep in, all these things he's not experienced in 20 years. And the whole time, he keeps saying to the bishop, like, hey, you know I'm a convict, right? Like, he's like waiting for the shoe to drop. He's waiting to hear what everyone else has told him, which is, get out of here, you dog. And he keeps asking the bishop, like, don't you know who I am? Are you sure? And the bishop just says, I know, and just gives and blesses and loves. Just this rich mercy. And if you know the story, that night, that mercy is exploited because Jean Valjean wakes up, he goes to the cabinet, he steals all the silver and he flees. The police catch him fleeing, drag him back to the bishop's door. The bishop answers and the police are mocking him because he's lied and told the police that the bishop gave him the silver. And so they're like, can you believe this, this detestable man told us you gave this to him? The bishop says, I did. And Jean Valjean hasn't even looked up at the bishop yet. He, you know, he can't even face the reality. And he looks up and the bishop looks at him and says, and you forgot the candlesticks, the most expensive gift of all. And he goes and gets the candlesticks and puts them in his bag. And the rest of the story is how that love transforms him into the kind of man who can love like that. Don't, don't think you, you basically got the story. I'm at like page 200. You still got 1,200 <laughs> to go, okay? Go, go read it or watch it. Not the Liam Neeson version, trust me. Um, so like, how can we love like this? Like this, like crazy radical in the face of just being cursed, in the face of being exploited, when someone steals from us, we're just, we love. When someone forces me by brutal authority to, to carry his stuff for a mile, hey, let me, let me walk with you another. Like, how is that even possible? to blessedly rich in that way. And here's how it's possible. Look in verse 45 and 48. I say to you, love your enemies so that you may be sons of your father who is in heaven. And verse 48, you therefore must be perfect 
as your heavenly father is perfect. As your heavenly father is perfect. As God. What Jesus is getting out here is that we are wholly unable to do this apart from experiencing the love of God toward us. But there, there's no way we're going to be able to have this kind of enemy love apart from experiencing that kind of love. And this is, this is what we have to reckon with. We were enemies of God. You were an enemy of God. I want you to stop and just, just think about that for a moment. If you're thinking right now, like, well, okay, I've, I have flaws and I fall short, but mostly I treat people well and, and I do good. And, and of course, everyone makes mistakes, but like overall, like I, I've never been an enemy of God. You've got to hear this. Like, I don't think you understand the gospel. This is like the gospel rests on this. I'm just going to let that hang for a minute because we've got to wrestle with this. Like, this is the heart of the gospel. This is the heart. This is the defining aspect of Christianity. Like, that this isn't religion. This isn't we're mostly good, and I'm, like, kind of bettering myself and to get God's favor and acceptance and eternal life, and, like, I'm just kind of on this journey. Like, this is what it is. This is what the gospel is. This is, the gospel is the opposite of that. So just hear this good news from Romans 5 and Colossians 1. You see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, but though for a good person, someone might possibly dare to die, but God, but God didn't do that. This is what he did. He demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And since we've been justified by his blood, how much more shall we be saved through him? Listen, for if while we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son, how much more shall we be saved through his life? And this is how Colossians puts it. Once you were alienated from God, you were separated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior. Enemies. But now he has reconciled you by Christ's death to present you holy, without blemish, free from accusation. This is the gospel. I'm, I'm still reading. This isn't me entering. It's literally what it says. This is the gospel. If you want to know what the gospel is, this is it. You were once alienated and enemies of God, but he reconciled you through Christ's death on your behalf to make you holy, to make you whole, without blemish, and to be free from accusation, shame, guilt, sin. This is the gospel that you have heard. Like, that's what we're talking about. And this is where that last verse comes in that, that might be so, sh like, sharp to us, the, you therefore must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. That perfect, it's not like, oh, I, I didn't pull any apples, or like, I don't have any demerits. It's this sense of being whole, being complete, and so what it's saying, what Jesus is saying, is that this is impossible apart from the sanctifying, reconciling, transforming, perfecting work of Jesus Christ toward you. That we actually cannot have this sort of radical enemy love apart from experiencing God's enemy love toward us while we were still his enemies. Like that is what the gospel 
rest on. And the reason this is the case is because unless I realize, unless by, and, and this is like supernatural, this isn't like, oh, I can just come to this. This is spirit driven in my heart realization. That unless I realize that God has loved me in this way, in this radical enemy love, that while I was still his enemies, while I still cursed him, he loved me and died for me, I can never have that enemy love because here's what I'll be doing. I'll always be saying an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. I'll always want what is mine and what is fair. And so unless I've experienced the kind of love that says, hey, you, you don't want an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. I'm just gonna give and bless and love you anyway. Like that's what grace is. Grace is this unmerited favor. It's getting what you don't deserve. So unless I've experienced that, then in every relationship, even people I love, but especially my enemies, I'm always gonna be eye for an eye and tooth for a tooth. I want you to get what I had. I want you to be reviled because you reviled me. I want you to have a taste of your own medicine. And so unless we are overwhelmed with that kind of love, right? Unless we have that transforming love of the bishop toward us, that kind of radical, crazy love that's offered in the gospel of Jesus Christ, we can never do this. Because when we experience that love, we are reborn. We're given new life. We are made whole, right? We are back from the beginning of the sermon, like we are God's children now. We're not quite yet what we will be, but we are God's children now. We've been made whole. And so now that I've experienced that, I can love in that way. This is how, how Peter puts this call in 1 Peter 2. And the context of this is, how do I love when my boss, when those who are lording power over me are unjustly beating me? That's, that's the context of this. How do I love when I'm being wrongfully beaten by those who have power over me? This is what he says. For to this, this enemy love, for to this you have been called because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example that you might follow in his steps. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten. Right, this is this picture of Jesus on the cross when he's being mocked by those killing him. And what does he say? Father, forgive them for they do not know what they do. Like he did not revile in return. He didn't threaten in return. But, this is what Peter says, he entrusted himself to the one who judges justly and bore our sins, his enemy's sins, in his body on that tree that we might die to sin and be made whole. By his wounds you have been healed. And this is what it says. Likewise, you, likewise you, do not repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, bless bless for this is what you've been called to for this is what you've been shown like this is our apprenticing the master he's actually left us here as his example of this radical enemy love that we would be this way that we would just bless in love like this is what we're going to be known by our love like can you just like really like wrestle with that reality that god says i will be known by your love and so Jesus gives us two really practical examples in our passage of how to do this. Pray and greet. And this is where our prompt will, will rest on this week. Pray and greet. Verse 44, pray for those who persecute you. Pray for your enemies. Pray for those who wronged you. Pray for those who hate you. Pray for those that you hate, who you're frustrated by. Instead of cursing them in your heart, bearing grudges, 
Just pray for them. Just spend time actually praying. Like not praying for the situation or anything. I mean, you can pray for that, but this is talking about just pray for that God would bless them, that they would flourish, that they would prosper. Like, I promise you it'll be life-changing. This is life-changing apprenticeship. And then verse, verse 47, greet them, right? Like everyone greets those who greets them, but greet those that you hate. Greet those that hate you. Like just genuinely greet them in hospitable love as a neighbor. Like remember, this, this enemy love is that our enemies would become neighbors, that they'd become brothers and sisters. So just have a conversation. Ask them about their life, their day, their work. Like everything in us wants them to actually experience our distaste by not greeting them. And so it's just this move toward of like, hey, I'm actually just gonna be here with you and greet you. This will be both the easiest and hardest practice of apprenticing Jesus. I think we'll do this summer. Easy because praying and greeting are not difficult tasks in and of themselves. Like it's not like fasting where like I am struggling to do this. But the hardest, because we're gonna be bumping up against our own heart. That everything in us wants to curse those who curse us. Everything in us wants those people who we hate or who they hate us to get a taste of their own medicine. But the beauty of it is that as we apprentice Jesus like this, we will, like, like this is what Jesus is saying is connecting this. Like we have to be, this will happen. We will be drawn more and more into the overwhelming, inconceivable love of God toward us and Jesus. We will see all the more just how, just how unthinkable it is that God is slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love, patient and loving, to those who hate him. We'll see that and just behold how radical, how crazy that is that Jesus loves his enemies. And so we will behold our God for this beauty. And in that beholding, we will all the more believe the crazy, like too good to be true, good news of the gospel that God loved us through Jesus while we still hated him. And in that believing and beholding, we will be transformed more and more into the image of our master, that we will actually be made more like our master so that our enemies would become our neighbors. This isn't just about us. I, there's a lot in here that's about us, but this isn't just for our own sake. This is actually to make enemies into brothers and sisters, to make enemies neighbors. That's always been what God's mission has been, that his people would love in such a way that enemies would become neighbors. That's our vision statement here at Midtown West, right? That we're on this adventure and apprenticeship is quite the adventure with Jesus to be set free, to be set free from all this going on in here, all this cursing, all this grudges, so that we can love to set others free, that they can actually experience the love of God for them in Jesus through our love. And then we can enjoy that freedom together. So we're about to uh, spend some time reflecting on the prompt for this week. I'm going to go ahead and call the band up. I'm going to pray for us uh, before we do that. Lord, we, we need you desperately. This feels like one of those calls where the immediate response is just, how, how can anyone do this? And you tell us that, with man, it's impossible, but with God, it's possible. And the truth is, all these apprenticeship practices we've been going through are 
uh, impossible without you, that we're helpless without the work of your spirit. But this one just so bumps up against what is natural in our hearts to get back to revenge. And so we're just deeply aware that we desperately need your spirit to transform our hearts. Would you make us people of enemy love? Would you make this body, this, this body that we call Midtown West, would you make us known by our love? That people say, I don't know much about them, but they love. Because this is what you tell us. If we can fathom all mysteries and knowledge, if we have faith that can move mountains, but have not love, we are nothing. So help us, Lord. May your kingdom come in our hearts and in our city for the sake of the gospel. We pray all these things in your son, our master and savior's name, Jesus, amen. So this, this prompt is in two parts. Uh, the first is um, asking the Lord to show us his radical love for us and the gospel, that he has loved us. He has loved his enemies in this way. And the second is to actually practice these two practical steps of praying and greeting this week as we go. So we're gonna have a few minutes before we sing to just reflect on this and just ask the Lord to do this in our hearts.